You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending April 29th, 2016. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is our weekly recap of the top headlines from the Daily Acquisition News. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olfer, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer. Lawmakers on the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee have written the Office of Management and Budget to press for a firm release date for revisions to Circular A-130, which establishes policies for managing federal information resources and, accordingly, directly affects cybersecurity. The last revision to the circular was over 15 years ago, practically an eon when it comes to anything tech-related, and OMB has said it's working towards a summer release date. Committee Chair Ron Johnson and Ranking Member Tom Carper are particularly anxious about ensuring that continuous automated monitoring of information systems is rolled out government-wide, and they urged OMB to complete the revision in a timely manner. They asked OMB to provide them with a status briefing in 30 days and quarterly thereafter. The Department of Energy has issued an updated chapter to its DOE Acquisition Guide. The new 50.1 section, Extraordinary Contractual Actions, reflects the new $70,000 Delegation of Authority Threshold at FAR 50.102-1, paragraph B, changes the name of the Work for Others program to the Strategic Partnership Program, removes DOE organizational symbols, and deletes obsolete model documents. The Department of Homeland Security is really interested in finding practical, prescriptive ways to bring those buzzy tech practices like agile approaches or continuous delivery and modular development into their procurement routines. Now, Bill and I have touched on this before. You may hear about a concept, even have a pretty firm idea of what it means, but there's often a gulf between knowing about it and changing what you do daily to take advantage of it. DHS is working on bridging that exact gap by running pilots, five functionally different systems at four of its components to develop a useful roadmap that can be replicated throughout the enterprise. DHS CIO Luke McCormick has partnered up with Chief Procurement Officer Soraya Correa on the effort, and Correa has been meeting with the pilot groups to shepherd them through the new processes. One thing she shared from her experience I thought was intriguing, when she sits down with procurement personnel to plan a new buy, she has them work backward from the desired result. Start with the how, why, where, what of the eventual ordering activity that'll happen once the vehicle is in place, and then that'll show you how you need to structure the procurement. So, interesting idea. Focus on outcomes. By the way, we talked about it last week. This is where federal procurement world is headed, folks. There's another example of it. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has received an Igniting Innovation Award from the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council. The kudos come for the agency's MyUSCIS, which is a platform that works on any tech device and helps clients navigate the immigration process, including applying for benefits, preparing for naturalization, and finding local health care providers. So, great job, you guys. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's one of the projects that the U.S. Digital Services uh, jumped in and helped uh, oh. with them with. That's very good. Kudos all around. In regulatory activity this week, the Department of Energy has issued a proposed rule that would amend its regulations to clarify that President Obama's executive order on non-displacement of contract workers 
does apply to the department's management and operating contracts. Executive Order 13495 directed that when a service contract expires and a follow-on contract is awarded for the same service, the predecessor's employees shall have the right of first refusal for employment under the contract in positions for which they are qualified. And DOE says that it does apply to its M&O contractors and subcontracts. The proposed rule also makes some clarifying changes to DOE's regulations, and comments on that must be received by May 26th. The Environmental Protection Agency has published a direct final rule to amend its regulations to implement policy related to the oversight of life sciences dual-use research of concern. Domestic institutions that receive funding from EPA to conduct or sponsor life sciences research are subject to the policy if they conduct or sponsor research involving any of the agents or toxins listed in the policy, regardless of the funding source. Institutions outside the United States are subject to the policy if they receive funding from EPA to conduct or sponsor research with any of the listed agents or toxins. This final rule is effective June 27th unless adverse comments are received by May 26th. If EPA receives adverse comment, it will publish a timely withdrawal of the rule in the Federal Register. NASA has issued a proposed rule that would amend its regulation titled Uniform Administrative Requirements, Cost Principles, and Audit Requirements for Federal Awards. Specifically, the proposed rule would include indirect cost rate as one of the data elements that must be included in a Notice of Federal Award to commercial firms with no cost-sharing requirement. It would add a new term and condition to address changes in an awardee's negotiated indirect cost rate agreement during the period of performance of an award. NASA has found that on occasion when a recipient's indirect cost rate has changed as a result of a new negotiated agreement, the change in rate has not always been captured when indirect costs are charged. As a result, some recipients have either overcharged or undercharged the agency for indirect cost. The proposed rule also would modify NASA's regulations to require all investigators submitting a research proposal or research project plan to include a plan for managing and providing access to final research data or to state why their data cannot or need not be made available to the public. Comments on NASA's proposed rule must be submitted by June 27th. There's been a lot of activity up on Capitol Hill the last few weeks as House and Senate committees work on appropriations for fiscal year 2017 and also next year's Defense Authorization Act. And we've also seen some bipartisan activity on good government and small business bills, uh, which often provide some rare areas of agreement across the aisle. Uh, well, yay. <laughs> Senator Jean Shaheen has introduced legislation that would make the Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Programs permanent. Both programs are currently set to expire at the end of fiscal year 2017, but the SBIR and STTR Reauthorization and Improvement Act of 2016 would provide for automatic reauthorization each fiscal year. Other provisions would also make permanent the Commercialization Development Awards Pilot Program, establish a national small business goal for federal agency research and development programs of at least 10% starting with fiscal 2018, 
tasked GAO with performing annual audits of government-wide compliance with SBIR and STTR goals and incentives, and establish a specific interagency policy committee for SBIR and STTR to develop metrics to assess the effectiveness of program management and determine the best method to collect data on the small business achievements being made in each phase of the programs. The measure is currently with the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship for review and discussion. It would be really nice to see this passed. We do see small programs like this, things that are generally very popular, non-controversial, extended for really short periods. It'd be three months, six months, a year, and there's always last-minute drama before an extension gets passed. really seems like a common-sense bill to automatically authorize non-controversial program that everybody likes for every year. If Congress yeah. wants to do something with it later, you know, they can revisit it. That, that's <clears throat> got to be nerve-wracking. So it'd be, it'd be good to see this pass, I agree. We also had some companion bills introduced in the House and Senate that would require federal agencies to evaluate potential opportunities to improve coordination internally and with other agencies to identify overlapping programs. This was introduced by Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee Chairman Ron Johnson and Ranking Member Tom Carper. It's called the Getting Results Through Enhanced Accountability and Transparency Act, or the GREAT Act. (laughs) (laughs) The GREAT Act would hold agencies accountable for implementing GAO recommendations regarding wasteful spending, and it would require agencies to provide more program information to Congress to help it manage duplication and overlap. Representatives Tammy Duckworth and Steve Russell have sponsored the measure in the House. Uh, The GREAT Act currently is in the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee in the Senate and the Oversight and Government Reform Committee in the House. And let me say, I live irony. This bill references, of course, GAO's annual report on duplicative, overlapping, and fragmented programs and its recommendations on wasteful spending, uh, the most recent of which just came out within the last month. And every year, GAO makes dozens and dozens of recommendations for reducing wasteful spending, consolidating duplicative programs and offices. Uh, And it also, of course, follows up on progress on these previous uh, recommendations. And in its most recent report, GAO said that the White House had taken action on far more of its recommendations than Congress. Uh, The administration, obviously including agencies, had partially or fully implemented 80% of their recommendations versus about 45% of the recommendations that Congress had gotten around to. Tut, tut. Tut, tut. (laughs) So what's what's that phrase? When you're you're pointing a finger at me, four fingers are pointing at you. Oh, my God. So kudos, Congress, for taking this seriously. Um, And also congratulations on working in a bipartisan manner to put GAO's work into legislation. Um, You know, that is important. It is heartening when they're actually – things do happen up on the hill and i do hope we'll see additional action on geo recommendations that require congressional action as well that's right people we're watching you so and also they come out with one of these every year i mean if (laughs) if it is that important would buckle down and pass it for heaven's sake another new bill we saw come out takes aim at dod's use of lpta the promoting value-based defense procurement act was introduced by senators mark warner and mike rounds another bipartisan duo and among 
its provisions, the bill would require DOD, to the extent practical, to avoid the use of LPTA when it is for knowledge-based services. It would be things like IT services, system engineering, technical assistance. And it required DOD to amend the DFARS to put some rules in place governing LPTA. For example, lawmakers believe that LPTA should only be used when minimum requirements can be clearly and comprehensively stated in terms of performance objectives, measures, and standards, and that's going to be used to determine how acceptable the offers are. The department would realize either zero or minimal value from a contract proposal exceeding the minimum technical or performance requirements that are set forth in the solicitation. Proposed technical approaches would require minimal or zero subjective judgment by the source selection authority about the desirability of one proposal or another. And a review of technical proposals of offerers other than the lowest bidder would have no or minimal benefit to the department. And the contracting officer would be required to include a justification for the use of LPTA in the contract file if the contract is for the acquisition of knowledge-based professional services. Well, that will make industry pundits very happy, a few of them anyway. Um, in fact, this week, the Professional Services Council and the IT Alliance for Public Sector wrote to Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition Technology and Logistics, Frank Kendall, whom we talk about often on the show, uh, regarding LPTA. The groups are challenging the use of the approach for the Defense Information Systems Agency's Encore 3 IT Services IT, IDIQ. That's a $17.5 billion uh, contract, so not a small deal. And the arguments they make are familiar. Complex IT services cannot be bought A, on the cheap, or B, by evaluating price only. Mm -hmm. uh, they argue that high-end work requires a best value trade-off evaluation. And PSC has raised their objections before about uh, the way, way DISA is uh, putting out Encore 3, but they haven't really made a lot of headway. So we'll see if DOD responds to this. Um, I will note, though, that I, I think even, even given the questions about Encore 3 and uh, this proposed legislation, I, I really don't think DOD is going off the rails here with LPTA and using it inappropriately. No. <laughs> um, you know, it, well, Mr. Kendall, I mean, it's funny that they're, they're – I mean, obviously, he's the top dog, so they, they are going to write to him. But he has many times, through better buying power, emphasized repeatedly that LPTA should be used judiciously. Right. And just was it last week, uh, DPAP director Claire Grady put out new guidance discussing best value and LPTA and how to use these to best effect. Um, but industry hates it. And it's understandable. And, but, you know, I mean, if you're buying anything more complicated than paper towels, you know, using LPTA, you're going to hear about it. Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I mean, I'm curious to see where this where this bill goes. And I haven't read the, you know, I haven't read the full text yet. Mm. Um my knee-jerk and entirely speculative executive opinion um, is this might be a solution in search of a problem. I, I really don't think yeah. DOD is is using it, uh, LPTA, that poorly, that it requires legislation. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, yeah, I'm a little surprised, actually, this isn't being rolled into the NDAA. Um, it could be, I guess, if it, if it gains traction. Give it time, yes. Yeah. Now, the, the House version of the NDAA currently has an interesting provision. Uh, lawmakers do love using committee markups and amendments to exercise their pet peeves. Oh, gosh, we have an example of that, too. Yes, in its markup of the 2017 NDAA, House Armed Services Committee is calling for a third-party review of bid protests 
in the Major Defense Acquisition Program. If it's enacted, the measure would give the Secretary of Defense 30 days to contract an independent entity to come in and examine the bid protest process. They would take a look at whether the challenges to awards have increased or decreased over the past decade, and what the effect has been on procurement actions. Has it, you know, held up delivery of something critical, for example? And the committee is also interested in knowing, is there any difference in outcomes if you compare protests from new contractors versus those filed by incumbents? And if it's coming from the incumbents, did they get something out of filing the protest? Like, did maybe a contract extension have to be issued to keep work going while this was decided? Uh, and that was what I kind of thought was an you know, intriguing angle to take a look at here. The idea behind the evaluation is that ultimately, if there are any authorities or alternative actions available to DOD while something is being protested to help them kind of manage contracts in the in the meantime, uh, they'd want to highlight those and you know know about what that is what's open to them to do interim findings on this would be due to the congressional defense committees by march 1st of next year and then a final report including proposed actions for the secretary of defense would come in july 1st of 2017. Professional Services Council, of course, has pounced on this topic. They are not objecting to the review requirement, but they're already preemptively pushing back on two proposed amendments to the bill. The first was requested by DOD. It would prohibit protesters from filing suit in the Court of Federal Claims if they previously protested with GAO and were denied. If enacted, that would apply to all agencies, not just DOD. Um, and we do see them, you know, if dad says no, they go ask mom sometimes. So uh, that would certainly affect right. some of what's going on. <laughs> so, uh, and a second provision would require a protester that loses a protest to pay for certain administrative uh, costs that have been incurred. Well, and I've, I've heard that idea floated before, generally applied to frivolous protests, not simply protesters that didn't win. You know, it's the pests that they're trying to right, uh, yeah, discourage. Yes, yes. I yes. haven't seen the exact language yet. I, it's posted online somewhere, but I don't. I don't really know how the amendment applies to the requirement, whether it's all unsuccessful protesters uh, or, like you said, you know, those GAO deems frivolous. The language isn't in the markup that was available, so we'll just, you know, have to see where this goes. But like you said, the idea has been floating out there. It's not entirely surprising someone picked it up. And, you know, I mean, personally, I do feel like people, you know, <laughs> we see some protests where I'm like, oh, come on, you guys, really? You know? Yes. Yes. I mean, for, you know, for everyone that's sustained, there's good ones that are denied, but man, there's, there's a good bunch that you they're just kind of silly on the face of them, so they yeah. are they are pretty painful to read. But oh, on the appropriation side, we have Bill's favorite topic coming in here: Fatara. I love Fatara. <laughs> the Senate version of the 2017 Energy and Water Appropriations Bill would not renew the exemption from Fatara requirements for the Department of Energy's national labs. I almost fell over when I saw this in the news this I week. I was like, "Ah." <laughs> No, we talked about this on the podcast last summer. Um, the White House and OMB were firmly against the exemption, uh, saying it went, totally went against the spirit of Fatera. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was enacted anyway as part of the omnibus spending bill that funded government for this year. That, of course, went out uh, last December. 
Um, Fitera obviously provides agency-level CIOs authority over all areas of their organization's IT spending, including budgeting and hiring. But DOE's labs and their contractors believe that their systems were simply too complex mm. to accommodate centralized oversight. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we have the arguments on both sides, right? You know, DOE and their labs are saying, but this is nuclear science. And then... <laughs> You know, on the on the other side, they're saying yes, but we have nuclear scientists and IT people who can help. That's so, right. <laughs> so far, this uh, the change is a change of omission. Um, mm. The exemption for DOE labs is not included in either the House or Senate version of legislation that would fund DOE programs next year. So we'll see how this goes. Um, the labs did have a heavyweight on their side, arguing in favor of the exemption. Senator Lamar Alexander from Tennessee, and I would not expect them to let the exemption go away quietly. Well, that's it for us for this week. If you're a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to this week's headlines for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded the podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us again next Friday, May 6th, to check up on all the latest developments from the Daily Acquisition News. Goodbye.